morning. This is Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, September 13th. We'll start today with the weather. Today, it's going to be humid with a couple of afternoon showers. The highs will be around 77 degrees. Tonight, will be cloudy and warm with a shower and thunderstorm possible. Lows will be 69 degrees. The sun rose this morning at 6.19 a.m. and will set tonight at 6.55 p.m. Tomorrow, Thursday, September 14th, will be a showery day, mostly in the morning, and then remaining cloudy in the afternoon. Highs will be 75 degrees and lows 61 degrees. Friday, we'll see a sunny day with high clouds but some wind. Highs 71 degrees and lows 61 degrees. On Saturday, we'll see wind and bands of rain from Hurricane Lee. The highs will be 68 degrees and the lows 54 degrees. And finally, on Sunday, Sunday, it will be a pleasant and sunny day, warmer with lots of sunshine, highs of 78 degrees and lows of 63 degrees. And next, because some of you have requested it, we'll go to the lottery. In the numbers game for Tuesday, September 12th, yesterday, in the midday drawing, the numbers were 4, 6, 5, and 9. I'll repeat that, 4, 6, 5, and 9. The evening drawing for Tuesday, September 12th was 3, 7, 1, 0. And I'll repeat that, 3, 7, 1, 0. The mass cash numbers for Tuesday, September 12th were 3, 12, 14, 18, 25. Powerball numbers for Monday, September 11th were 9, 25, 27, 53, 66, and a bonus number of 5. Mega Millions for Tuesday, September 12th were 2, 14, 21, 42, 67, and a bonus number of 18. The Megabucks Doubler for Saturday, September 9th, 10, 15, 36, 37, 38, 44, and a 2 for the Doubler. And finally, the Lucky for Life numbers for Tuesday, September 12th, 3, 11, 13, 26, 45, with a bonus number of 13. Next, we'll go to our front page local story. Freight comes at a cost. Woods Hole, Steamship Authority in Village, is a lot to handle. By Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Before sunrise on Wednesday morning, the village of Woods Hole in the town of Falmouth is quiet, still, and idyllic. The faint outline of wooden Cape Cod-style architecture is visible up and down the main thoroughfare, aptly named Woods Hole Road. But just as integral to the village as its quaint charm, 
Woods Hole hosts the main port for freight transportation to and from Martha's Vineyard. The Woods Hole, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket Steamship Authority's Ferry Terminal, the largest lifeline for food and supplies to the island. As important as the port is to the vineyard, the presence of the terminal comes at a cost to Cape residents who live in the vicinity. Dozens, sometimes upwards of 60 to 70 freight and delivery trucks per day, travel through the residential two-lane corridor of Woods Hole Road. Here comes a small convoy now, said Woods Hole native Nat Trumbull at 5.09 a.m. outside the century-old Fieldstone building of the Woods Hole Public Library. Three freight trucks rumbled down Woods Hole Road toward the port, breaking the morning silence. Trumbull, a professor of geography and maritime studies at the University of Connecticut, spearheads a community group, SMART, S-M-A-R-T, dedicated to raising awareness on issues of transportation and advocating for policy change in the southeastern region of Massachusetts. One of the group's main concerns is the Woods Hole Port. A few minutes later, another convoy of trucks, this time two grocery store day cabs and one delivery truck, drove through the street and turned into the Steamship Authority lot to queue for the controversial 5.30 a.m. ferry to the vineyard. Proponents say the early service is necessary to provide residents of the island with essentials. Some residents of Woods Hole, on the other hand, say it makes sleeping past dawn difficult, if not impossible. The rule, after years of complaining, was that they would not put trucks larger than 40 feet on the 530 boat, which was a good accommodation, said Trumbull. But these guys are still waking up people on this whole road through the whole Falmouth corridor. Minutes after the second convoy, an unmistakable smell of garbage waste blanketed the air. Oh, that's always nice, Trumbull said mid-sentence once he noticed the odor. There can be up to 13 trash trucks a day. Basically, all of the island's trash comes off through Woods Hole. This is really ground zero here. Aside from sleep, several Woods Hole residents who spoke to the Times, voiced concerns about the odor, as well as daily noise levels and the adverse health effects of living near an industrial area. Director of Communications for the Steamship Authority, Sean Driscoll, said the authority is not the only business or industry to affect the village. Municipal waste management services and restaurant delivery also add to the traffic and increased noise levels in the area. There's no way around that. That's just life, and we try our best to mitigate it 
while fulfilling our statutory duty to provide for the transportation of goods and services to the island at Martha's Vineyard, he said. This is the only way that stuff can get there. Driscoll said the authority has spent millions of dollars working with the town and residents to mitigate the impact of the port's presence. Pam Stark, a resident of Woods Hole, whose home is a mere stone's throw from the ferry terminal, was out for a morning walk at 6.30 a.m. when she told the Times she'd seen the village transform firsthand. I know I sound like a whiner, Stark said. It's like when people say, if you buy next to an airport, expect airplanes. But we've lived here 26 years, and the increase in freight traffic has been astronomical. Truck traffic in Woods Hole for Steamship Authority business has increased over the years. Data provided by the Steamship Authority shows the number of vehicles, including trucks of all varieties, have increased over the past two decades. In 1998, the number of trucks ferried to and from the vineyard was 39,411. Last year, that figure was 59,233. Trucks 55 feet or greater, but less than 65 feet, were the most common type of truck ferried to and from the islands last year, according to Steamship Authority data obtained by the Times. These vehicles include garbage-hauling trucks, aviation fuel trucks, gasoline trucks, heating oil trucks, and propane trucks, among others. There were 16,884 vehicles of this type that traveled through the port of Woods Hole last year. I used to be able to go out to my yard, enjoy a little peace, but now it's about every 15 or 20 minutes that the trucks come rumbling down, said Stark, overlooking the Steamship Authority terminal on the Crane Street Bridge. It's changed a lot. James Malkin, the representative from Dukes County on the Steamship Authority board, said Woods Hole was never a quiet village. He said it's always been a busy, deep-water port used for a variety of industrial purposes. As far back as 1815, Woods Hole was a hub for whaling, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Then, in the 1960s, a thriving yet controversial guano industry began to flourish, shutting down in 1889, much to the relief of residents in the area who suffered from the strong odor of guano from the plant. Presently, Malkin said, residents in port communities are experience, experiencing the impact of a rapid population influx. As I have said in meetings before, while I sympathize with everyone, including people in Hyannis, Woods Hole, Vineyard Haven, and Nantucket, 
That's an issue of growth, Malkin said. The islands are sinking under the weight of money. Here's how Falmouth benefits from housing the Steamship Authority port. Steamship Authority, Cape Cod, and island officials, as well as some residents, pointed to the economic benefits the port brings both to the town of Falmouth and the vineyard. Last year, nearly a quarter of the Steamship Authority's workforce, about 175 employees, resided in Falmouth, said Peter Jeffrey, the representative from Falmouth, on the Steamship Authority board. The largest percentage of the workforce lives in Falmouth, and that represented about $9.7 million in wages that went to town residents, Jeffrey said. There's also a fee associated with passenger embarkation at ports set by state law designed to create an additional revenue source for port towns like Falmouth to use to offset the adverse impact of Steamship Authority business in town. In the summer, with the steamship and more people, public safety is a major issue, said Falmouth Select Board Chair Nancy Taylor. So, we use embarkation money to support our fire and rescue and to support our police department. Taylor could not comment on the specifics of embarkation fee spending in Falmouth, adding the town manager has discretionary use of the funding. The office of the Falmouth town manager did not respond to several calls and emails from the Times. Recently, State Senator Julian Sear, Democrat Truro, filed a bill that would raise the fee from its current rate of $0.50 cents to $2. Sear said in an interview on Wednesday the fee increase would help port communities defray additional costs, adding that the bill was filed at the request of Tisbury and Oak Bluffs Finance Committees. If not Woods Hole, where else would a steamship authority port go? Several residents who spoke to the Times, such as Trumbull, Stark, and others, said they advocate for off-cape solutions in order to cut down on steamship authority activity in the area. Many point to the port of New Bedford as a viable option, which is closer to Martha's Vineyard than Hyannis is to Nantucket, according to Google Maps. Currently, the New Jersey-based Sea Streak Ferry Service, licensed by the Steamship Authority, makes seasonal passenger trips to and from New Bedford and the islands. According to Sea Streak's website, the average travel time to Martha's Vineyard from New Bedford is an hour. Ed DeWitt, a Woods Hole resident and former Steamship Authority board member, said he studied the New Bedford option when he was appointed to the Town Transportation Management Committee, an advisory group 
to the Falmouth Select Board focused on innovative solutions to municipal transportation issues. He said, New Bedford hosts a number of key infrastructure qualities, making it a suitable candidate for freight transportation. It's not the only option, but it certainly seems by far the best option, DeWitt said. You have the interstate highway, you have rail, you have a great harbor, and so it does make sense. New Bedford is too expensive, authority representative says. Driscoll said the authority has also studied this option, operating a one-year pilot program in 2000 and issuing a feasibility study in 2016 to conduct a thorough review of what it would look like to ship freight from New Bedford to the vineyard. The study found the option financially impractical. We don't have a place to run operations from in New Bedford. The state pier is not able to support the weight of our trucks, and there's not a ton of options in that area for us to be able to load and offload vessels, stage vehicles, and have an operation, he said. In March of 2022, Driscoll said the Steamship Authority issued a public request to potential ferry services, quote, seeking to conduct licensed freight operations between the port of New Bedford and Martha's Vineyard, end quote. He said they received zero proposals back. That request for proposals was very clear, very fair, and flexible, Driscoll said. The fact that we got no potential proponents, I think that speaks volumes. Maura Tierney, the representative from New Bedford on the Steamship Authority Board, did not respond to several requests for comments from the Times. A spokesperson for New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell said he was not available for an interview with the Times. But in an email Wednesday, Mitchell said the city is not ruling out the possibility of utilizing the port of New Bedford to transport Steamship Authority freight to and from the islands. Despite the port's continued success, we are always open to opportunities to diversify our maritime sector, including the introduction of additional freight lines, so long as they complement existing port businesses, Mitchell said, referring to existing commercial interests such as fishing and offshore wind projects. Gordon Carr, executive director of the Port of New Bedford, did not agree to an interview with the Times, saying he did not have anything further to add to the mayor's comment. As the morning rush of freight traffic began to slow down at around 7 a.m., Stark said the trucks would continue to trickle in throughout the day, with just as many vessels making their rounds in and out of port to and from the vineyard. 
you can stand here and watch the vessels go out with their diesel engines and the black smolder smoldering clouds that come out of their smokestacks. And, you know, in industrial areas, we all expect that. But these homes were here before the Steamship Authority and before the growth, Stark said. We're not an industrial area. There has to be more responsibilities, and all these things need to be addressed. There are several pictures that accompany this story. The first is from the Woods Hole Terminal area, and the caption reads, A truck leaves a long streak of red from its rear lights in this long exposure during a turn on September 6 into Crane Street in Woods Hole to enter the Woods Hole, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket Steamship Authority's terminal area. The truck was waiting to board the Martha's Vineyard governor for the 5.30 a.m. departure to Martha's Vineyard. The next picture shows truckers unloading uh, freight. The caption reads, Truck drivers start to load onto the Woods Hole, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket Steamship Authority vessel, Martha, Martha's Vineyard Island Home, ahead of its 6 a.m. departure on September 6th from Woods Hole. And the next picture is of a gentleman looking out at the terminal area. The caption reads, Woods Hole resident Nathaniel Trumbull watches on September 6th in Woods Hole as truck drivers make their way toward 5.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock a.m. ferries to Martha's Vineyard. In our next local story, entitled Man Drowns Off Cape Cod Beach in Dennis, by Zane Razak, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. A 54-year-old man died on Sunday from drowning at Bayview Beach in Dennis, according to the Cape and Islands District Attorney's Office. At around 4.58 p.m., Dennis police received multiple 911 calls reporting a drowning at the beach in the area of 140 Shore Drive in Dennis. The victim was identified as Fernando Colmenar. Police were told Colmenar said he was going to ride his bike and then go to the beach to swim. No foul play was suspected, according to the district attorney's office. The beach is on Cape Cod Bay and managed by the town. And next in local stories, Sagamore Bridge reduced to one on Cape Lane on September 13th. Vehicle travel onto Cape Cod via the Sagamore Bridge will be restricted to one lane on Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., according to a release from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Contractors will be performing maintenance work and inspections during the time frame. According to the release, no wide loads will be permitted to cross the bridge while lane restrictions are in place. Both off-cape travel lanes on the Sagamore Bridge will remain open. 
the Sagamore and Bourne bridges cross the Cape Cod Canal, providing the main link for vehicles between Cape Cod and the mainland. And next in local news stories on the Cape and Islands page, raccoons targeted in Cape Oral Rabies Drop by Heather McCarran, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Raindrops aren't the only things falling from the sky over parts of Cape Cod this week. The Cape Cod and Southeast Massachusetts Rabies Task Force is preparing to begin aerial distribution of oral rabies vaccine baits for, for wildlife from the mid to upper Cape, as well as several communities on the mainland side of Cape Cod Canal. The aerial effort was scheduled to start Tuesday, though the weather was causing delays in the morning. Distribution is expected to continue through September 15th, but could be extended if Mother Nature proves uncooperative. We're really at the mercy of the weather, said wildlife biologist Brian Bjorkland with the U.S. Department of Agricultural Agriculture, Wildlife Services, and coordinator of the Cape Cod Rabies Program. The effort will also include ground distribution of baits by hand with help from town, county, and federal employees and volunteers. During the operation, residents may notice a low-flying red and black helicopter. Where are oral rabies vaccines getting distributed? On Cape, baiting will take place in Bourne, Falmouth, Sandwich, and Barnstable. West of the canal, baiting is occurring in Plymouth, Wareham, Kingston, Carver, Middleborough, Lakeville, Middleborough, Rochester, and Marion. It's basically the northern section north of Route 6 to about Sandy Neck, then just over the Falmouth Line and part of Joint Base Cape Cod, said Bjorkland. The picture that goes with this story is of a gloved hand holding packets, and the caption reads, Brian Bjorkland of the U.S. Department of Agriculture holds rabies vaccine in fish-scented packets in 2021 at Cape Cod Gateway Airport in Hyannis. The packets were dropped from helicopter, helicopters and targeted the raccoon population. And on the Cape and Islands page, there's also a picture of a man working on a sailboat with a caption that says, Loring Wordle Jr. prepares the late Senator Ted Kennedy's old Wiano Senior sailboat, Pieces of Eight, on Tuesday to be hauled out of the water ahead of the advancing track of Hurricane Lee, expected to pass near Cape Cod later this week. Wordle towed the boat from its mooring in Hyannisport on calm seas. The next story on the Cape and Islands page is entitled Chatham Boy Free 
After Alleged Murder Attempt by Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. A Barnstable Superior Court judge on Monday ordered a white Chatham boy, John P. Sheeran, age 14, who is alleged to have attempted to drown another boy who is black on July 19th in Chatham, to be released into the custody of his father. Sheeran was ordered held without bail after a dangerousness hearing in Barnstable Juvenile Court on August 31st, following his arraignment on attempted murder and assault charges. An appeal of the detention order was heard on Monday, resulting in the boy's release. Walking to his family car after the hearing, neither Sheeran nor his family issued a comment to the Times. His defense attorney, Kevin Reddington, said the judge's decision to release the boy to his family under the conditions set by the court was the right decision. Right now, it's not a matter of guilt or innocence. It's a matter of, are there any terms and conditions of release that could assure the safety of the complaining witness and the public, Reddington said. And clearly, the judge made a reasonable order. GPS, 24-7 lockdown. And that's certainly more than enough to assure the safety of the public. Nearly 50 members of the Cape and Islands community showed up for the appeal hearing to voice support for the black juvenile who is alleged to have nearly drowned. We will stop this story here and go to the obituaries, and we'll pick up the story after the obituaries. The first obituary, Heather Abbey. South Dennis, Massachusetts. Heather, quote, Gooseman, unquote, Abby, age 51, of Cape Cod, passed away unexpectedly on Friday, August 11th, 2023. She was the loving mother of Caitlin Abbey of Harwich, Massachusetts. Visiting hours, Saturday, September 16th, from 1 to 4 p.m., at Doan, Beale, and Ames, 729 Route 134, South Dennis, Massachusetts, 02660. James Matthew Corbett. James Matthew Corbett, age 84, passed away peacefully at home on Sunday, September 10th, 2023. Jim is survived by his wife, Rita O'Donnell, and his six children. A massive Christian burial will be held on Friday, September 15, 2023, at 11 a.m., Corpus Christi Parish, 324 Quaker Meeting House Road, East Sandwich, Massachusetts. Burial will follow at Sandwich Town Cemetery, Route 130 in Sandwich. Visitation will be held Thursday, September 14th, 
from 4 to 8 p.m. at Nickerson Bourne Funeral Home, 154 Route 6A, Sandwich, Massachusetts. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made in James' name to the Dana-Farber Dana Cancer Institute at www.dana-farber.org slash how dash you dash can dash help slash ways dash to dash give slash make dash a dash memorial dash or dash tribute dash gift for on for directions and online condolences please visit www NickersonBornFH.com. And now we'll return to the story that we were reading prior to the obituaries, Chatham Boy Free After Alleged Murder Attempt. Among other conditions of Sheeran's release, Barnstable County Superior Court Judge Mark Gildea said, the accused must report to the juvenile department of probation would be a subject to would be subject to a curfew and would need to undergo a psychiatric evaluation the alleged offense offenses are both wrongful and offensive gildea said however the issue before me is not whether these events are wrongful or offensive the issue before me is whether the Commonwealth has shown, upon clear and convincing evidence, that no conditions of release imposed upon Mr. Sheeran reasonably assure the safety of the persons and or the community. Chatham Boy alleged to have punched another boy. During the Monday hearing, Assistant District Attorney Eileen Moriarty said later on the evening of July 19th, Sheeran punched another boy of Asian descent in the face after words were exchanged. Moriarty said this incident was further reason to uphold the initial dangerousness hearing. This is a child who cannot be kept safe in the community, and the community can't be kept safe from him, Moriarty said. We've heard that this violence, unfortunately, is targeted toward children of other races, children that don't look like him. Reddington said, in response, the incident was handled amicably between the two boys and their families. It was an argument because they knew each other, Reddington said, adding the boy called Sheeran, quote, fat, unquote, before Sheeran punched the boy. He, Sheeran, immediately apologized, spoke to the young gentleman's mother, and they thought he was sincere in his apology, Reddington said. The boy's mother had the opportunity to press charges, but decided against it, Reddington said. 
Barnstable County Grand Jury Indicts Sharon. Sharon was indicted on August 31st by a Barnstable County Grand Jury on felony charges of attempted murder and assault with a dangerous weapon after he and another white juvenile were accused of persistently harassing and assaulting a black juvenile at Goose Pond in Chatham, a statement from the office of Cape and Islands District Attorney Robert Galliboys said. The alleged assault was racially motivated, Galliboys said in his statement. Sheeran is accused of throwing stones at the black boy, calling him racial slurs, and dunking him four to five times, making it difficult for him to breathe, according to a Chatham police report. A person on the beach intervened and helped the black boy back to shore, according to the report. The Times usually does not publish the names of juveniles accused of crime, but due to the severity of the charges, the case against Sheeran is public, according to Galliboys, including Monday's hearing. Cape and Islands community members at the courthouse to support the black juvenile represented over 30 organizations, including the Barnstable Human Rights Advisory Commission, No Place for Hate Barnstable, No Place for Hate Falmouth, and Zion Union Heritage Museum. Former Barnstable Town Council member Deborah Dagwen said the outcome was, quote, disappointing, end quote, adding she thought the judge's decision let down the boy who is alleged to have nearly drowned. He jeopardized someone's life, Dagwan said, referring to Sheeran. Why would you hold somebody down who was saying, I can't breathe? He feared for his life at that point. Lynn Rhodes, president of the Cape Cod chapter of the NAACP, told reporters outside the courthouse there was no information she could share about the boy who is alleged to have nearly drowned. She asked the public to respect the privacy of the boy and his family. We are also committed to working with other social justice organizations on Cape Cod to help put an end to these types of incidents until racial racial violence becomes a relic of the past, Rhodes said. The picture that goes with this story is of someone talking to a handful of reporters. The caption reads, The president of the Cape Cod chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, known as the NAACP, Lynn Rhodes Center, talks to media representatives after a judge's decision to release John P. Sheeran to his parents with conditions. Next, we'll go to a state news story. Heavy Rain Nails, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, by Michael Casey, Associated Press. 
Heavy rainfall has flooded parts of Massachusetts and Rhode Island, with one city declaring a state of emergency as water poured into homes, creating moats around their, their foundations and stranded drivers. Concern about a dam listed in poor condition led to evacuations. More storms were in the forecast for Wednesday, and although it was still early, winds and flooding from Hurricane Lee were expected to affect Rhode Island, eastern Massachusetts, southeastern New Hampshire, and central and coastal Maine during the weekend, forecasters said. Mayor Dean Mazzarella in Lemonster about 40 miles northwest of Boston, urged people not to venture outside as roads flooded Monday night. But some residents were evacuated as water came into their basements. All schools were closed Tuesday, and two shelters were set up. The storm stopped over us last night. It didn't move for close to five hours. It had dumped 11 inches of rain, Mazzarella said, at a news conference Tuesday morning. The National Weather Service had not immediately confirmed that figure. On Monday night, in a recording posted online, Mazzarella had urged people to, quote, find a high spot somewhere, find a high spot and stay there until this is over, end quote. He said if there were any injuries, they were minor. Steve Forcier, age 62, said he was half asleep watching television in his mobile home when firefighters knocked on his door late Monday night. It was a little intimidating, a little frightening, he said Tuesday morning outside the school where he and others spent the night. When I looked out there, I said, holy crap, the weather outside was about waist-high, Forcier said, but he had minimal damage to his home when he evacuated. Firefighters used inflatable rafts to bring residents of the mobile home park to trucks and buses. It's been a very emotional roller coaster for many, Lemonster School Superintendent Paula Deacon said outside the shelter, where at least 80 people had stayed overnight. They don't know what happened to their homes, many of them left with nothing, so they're anxious to get back to see the conditions of where they live, talk to the people they care about, she said. Deacon said she's never experienced that type of emergency response and came away impressed. There were so many people here with open arms to help navigate. We all just jumped in and started taking care of one another, and that's a tribute to this community. Early Tuesday, the city said people living in areas near a brook and the North Nashua River in Lemonster should, quote, immediately evacuate, end quote, as a precaution due to a potential issue at the Barrett Park Pond Dam.
this particular dam is one we're actually about to replace, and it's very sensitive. It is water-saturated, and we worry about that downstream, Mazzarella said at the news conference. The dam is a 15-foot-tall earthen structure listed in poor condition and posing a significant hazard, meaning its failure could result in economic damages but would not be expected to cause loss of life, according to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers' National Inventory of Dams. The database shows it was last inspected in November 2017, though it's supposed to be inspected every five years. Mazzarella said there were at least several homes in Lemonster where, quote, the water washed out around them, end quote, and the foundations could be seen. Massachusetts Governor Maura Healy said earlier that emergency boat rescue and response teams were in the city. My heart goes out to residents and public safety officials in Lemonster and other communities experiencing catastrophic flooding tonight, she posted on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Other communities also experienced flooding. In North Attleboro, Massachusetts, about 55 miles south of Lemonster, the town said in a statement that crews worked to clear water from the roads Monday night and about 200 homes had flood damage. Little rain was expected Tuesday, but storms are expected to hit the area Wednesday afternoon and evening, and could, some could produce heavy rain, the National Weather Service said. New England has experienced its share of flooding this summer, including a storm that dumped up to two months of rain in two days in Vermont, resulting in two deaths. Atmospheric scientists say floods occurring in different parts of the world are fueled by climate change, with storms forming in a warmer atmosphere, making extreme rainfall more frequent. The additional warming scientists predict is coming will only make it worse. The picture accompanying this story is of a person looking at his home. The caption reads, A man surveys damage to a house on Hamilton Street in Lemonster, Massachusetts, Tuesday, after heavy rainfall overnight. The city declared a state of emergency. And our next story in state news is entitled, Representative Wants New Approach to Immigrant Arrivals by Michael P. Norton, State House News Service. Saying the state has, quote, reached a point where a pivot is necessary and overdue, end quote, a top House Democrat is calling on Governor Maura Healey's administration to overhaul its, quote, chaotic, end quote, response to the ongoing arrival of migrant families 
and establish a unified command structure. The current humanitarian arrivals crisis is not a challenge that can be reasonably absorbed or addressed by the routine day-to-day operations of state or local government agencies. Representative William Driscoll, Jr., House Chair of the Joint Committee on Emergency Preparedness and Management, wrote in a letter Monday. The sheer volume and the needs of the arriving immigrants are complex, and the official effort is barely keeping pace with the families arriving daily seeking shelter and other social services. According to Driscoll, who worked in disaster response before joining the House, a unified incident command structure would enhance the state's ability to scale the response up or down, quote, with the future twists and turns, unquote, of immigrants arriving in Massachusetts from other countries. He said that about 800 families have entered the emergency assistance system in the last month, and new highs for entries are, quote, being set week after week, end quote. Healy has already declared a state of emergency around the migrant arrivals and authorized 250 National Guard members to be called up to assist. State officials in recent weeks have also been calling on the federal government for help. The administration is underutilizing existing structures and frameworks that are in place to support communication and coordination in times of emergency, Driscoll wrote. Those structures and frameworks should be turned on and utilized rather than the current state of play, which appears to be hastily adapting the day-to-day operations of multiple agencies across multiple secretariats to attempt a version of crisis response. A state of emergency has been declared, yet the structure and cadence of the response underway is not recognizable to many with a lifetime of emergency management experience and expertise. In his letter, Driscoll, a Milton Democrat, also asks the administration if relevant local officials will be, quote, regularly engaged with and involved in the planning and activities regarding the state of emergency, end quote. Last week, Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, Health and Human Service Secretary Kate Walsh, and Housing and Livable Communities Secretary Ed Augustus met privately with state representatives to update them about the state's emergency shelter system and the activation of up to 250 Guard members to help at shelter hotels. Representatives vented their frustrations with the administration's communication around the migrant crisis at that meeting, echoing concerns that have been growing at the local level.
Healy spokeswoman Carissa Hand said the administration would review Driscoll's letter. We welcome the partnership of our colleagues in government, she said. Our administration implemented an incident command structure in May to manage this rapidly evolving and unprecedented emergency. Thanks to incident commands coordination between housing and livable communities, health and human services, MEMA, and the National Guard, we have successfully expanded critical service capacity and provided safe and secure shelter to thousands of children and families in need. Driscoll said, a unified incident command structure is an, quote, evolved version, end quote, of incident command structure, and alleges that the administration is, quote, underutilizing existing structures and framework that are in place to support communication and coordination in times of emergency, end quote. And now for a local sports story. Hines' four goals lead Upper Cape girls soccer to first win. By Courtney Jacobs, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. One day, Upper Cape Cod Regional Technical High School varsity girls soccer coach James Levesque was watching a Rams girls basketball game. While there, a player impressed him on the floor, Alana Hines. Levesque decided to shoot his own shot by recruiting Hines to his soccer team, which Hines accepted. It's safe to say Levesque has an eye for talent and made the right call. In her first season playing varsity soccer, Hines was named the Mayflower League MVP with 21 goals and 10 assists as a striker-slash-center midfielder. She's obviously been a phenomenal asset to the team, Levesque said. She's such a team player. She comes to every practice with a great attitude and is ready to go. She sets the standard, she sets the bar, and the players rise to that. It's great to see for sure. Two games into her senior season, and Hines has already put her bid in for back-to-back MVPs. In a 5-3 to loss to Bourne in the season opener, Hines found the back of the net twice. In the very next game, Hines doubled that with four goals in a 6-2 win over Cape Cod Academy on Monday. I always try to look for my teammates, Hines said. In the beginning, I'll be honest, I was going for it, but it didn't work. I realized I have amazing forwards and midfielders always ready to back me up. I always use my teammates. In addition to soccer and basketball, Hines also plays lacrosse for the Rams. 
last season, she averaged 18 points per game in basketball and had 66 points, 50 goals, and 16 assists in lacrosse. Best season in program history. Playing one sport for a student-athlete is tough enough, but for Hines, she enjoys being a three-sport athlete. I like being active. I just can't sit still, and I have to be moving, Hines said. It keeps me in shape. Some skills from basketball you somehow find yourself using in soccer and lacrosse, like footwork. Upper Cape finishes strong. At halftime against Cape Cod Academy, the game was tied 2-2. Two to two. Hines scored both goals for her team in the first half. In the second half, she wasn't the only person that made contributions. After allowing two first-half goals, senior goalie Haley King did not allow a goal and had multiple big saves to help the Rams to their first win of the season. This has been Carolyn, reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, September 13th. I hope you all have a wonderful day.